Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. to Flame On. I am Brian the Bear. I'm here with Pat, our bearskin rug. And our very special guest today, Mr. Rod Roddenberry. How are you, Rod? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We are doing fantastic. We are so excited to talk to you, the progenitor uh, of the great uh, Roddenberry Empire. Um <laughs> Just a Empire. quick. Empire, wait, isn't that's that's a different that's oh. a different show, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's getting a little confusing with uh, with, uh, with certain people crossing over. You know, uh, I they, prefer Roddenberry Federation. That that's true. That's much better. I like that. <laughs> so, um, quick story: we met Rod at MegaCon a couple months ago after the festive or after the uh, convention had ended, kind of back at the host hotel, and we we're hanging out. And Rod was just an absolute delight. You you were you you were so cool and down to earth. And after our buddy John Babshaw introduced us, we got talking about. Uh, I think Bear Trek came up somehow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The best part about it was that it all started as a quest to just get a picture with Rod. 
Oh yes, that's right. Because we we did honestly look at you. you know, we saw you, and we're just like, I don't even think we recognize who you were. And like, oh, that, that guy's really attractive. He's kind of kind of bearish, not not really more and more cub, you know. And then you know, John's like, uh, oh, that's that's uh, that's Rod Roddenberry. We're like, oh, <laughs> hello, all right, cool. You know, I kind of have it. I have the best of both worlds, where you know, I've got a, a, a semi-famous last name, you know, to those who know Star Trek. Yet I'm not an actor, so no one knows what I look like. So. Whether it's a Star Trek convention or walking down the street, you know, I rarely, if ever, get recognized. And so I, I say I've got the best of both worlds because I'll go to a Star Trek convention. And if we've never met before, you don't know who the hell I am, which is which is great. And um, at the same time, when I go on stage or, or I'm doing a talk, people know the name Roddenberry. So, you know, they 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 come and see that. So um, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. Well, and I was just I was just saying before we started recording uh, I had actually seen Trek Nation, your documentary, back when it had first come out and had forgotten basically what you look like, not who you were. And then, you know, I, during your filming and production of that, I bet you that anonymity really came in handy because there's so many great scenes where you're walking around Star Trek and sci-fi conventions and people have no idea who you are. And they're just giving you very honest appraisals of, of Star Trek. And you, you use that really well in the documentary to kind of give a portrait of your father. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I've been doing enough Star Trek conventions, especially on the West Coast more, where, where uh, there are a number of people there who, who recognize my face. But I think I, I go to these things because I have fun at them, too. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of, um, well, there is a bit of merchandising, I guess. I can't lie about that. The family's had a merchandising business for years, and we've been going to conventions for years selling. Um, but the, the real reason is I have fun, and I love you know, representing the family name, that the name that actually means something, you know, it's, it's, I, I love Lucas. Don't get me wrong. I love Spielberg, uh, Spielberg. I'd love to be a Spielberg, but the Roddenberry name, you know, people have been inspired by Star Trek. People have changed their views on the world and, and, and have become more optimistic because of Star Trek and on their own lives. And um, that's something I'm very proud of. So, you know, that is my, well, that's my goal in life. I, I can tell you I'm not going to follow in my father's footsteps by creating Star Trek or, or sorry, creating the next Star Trek TV series or movie. Um, and I may not even work in Hollywood per se, but everything that I do, um, I try to represent the name um, and carry that sort of vision of a better tomorrow on. And and from what I've seen, like I said, you 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 do a good job in that documentary of showing people who don't necessarily know about like they may have heard of Star Trek, but they don't know the culture. They don't know about your father's legacy. And, you know, the way Star Trek and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, the way the licensing is set up is pretty much Paramount owns it like yeah. lock, stock and barrel. So you're in kind of a position like a Jack Kirby or even maybe a Stan Lee to a lesser extent where you've made all the, your father has made all these you know, great characters in this, this universe and these these ideals and all this cool stuff. But at the end of the day, you don't have any control over how that is marketed how that is turned into the next product but but yet you are there standing there showing up you know your fa your father's ideals and 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 what he really believed in to the world as an example and you guys are doing the uh talk about the roddenberry uh foundation um because i just had read about that and you guys did dead you uh, uh what do you call it <laughs> donated there we go uh, a lot of movie money to cerebral palsy research i think uh, stem, stem cell. Stem cell. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Stem cell. Uh, well, the, the Roddenberry Foundation, you know, I, I'll, I'll, 
I'll start a little bit. I'll take you further back a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm really just not cut out for Hollywood. Um, I have done a, a little bit of a dance in there, and and I'm I'm not. I don't think I have the talents for the way Hollywood is today. Hopefully, I've got talents in other area, and I and I hope to bring out those creative talents in smaller independent um, new media productions. We've got a few things out there currently, um, but I'm really not going to jump into uh, under the big screen or, or into television. Um, and my really my real interest is the Roddenberry name and what it means to people and that vision my father created. And I felt like if I'm not going to create thought-provoking TV series, you know, what's the next best thing I can do? Well, how do we make that future a reality? Well, we obviously take steps to get there. Well, the good news is, is there's already people out there taking those steps. I don't need to recreate the wheel um, or reinvent the wheel. There's people out there who are really thinking in sort of out-of-the-box ways of bringing that future to reality sooner than we think. And by that, I mean, uh, there's people, let's, well, we'll jump into our first large grant. Um, as a young foundation, we found an organization out there called uh, the Gladstone Institute. And they are really on the cutting edge of stem cell research. And initially, as, as, a, as a foundation, when we looked into stem cell technology, we thought that it might be a little bit controversial because they're still dealing with embryonic stem cells and things like that. And even though personally, I'm still a favor of using embryonic stem cells, uh, we learned that they were uh, introducing a new field called um, pluripotent stem cells. And uh, again, I'm regurgitating this from just hearing it over and over. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> um, what they are able to do is take any type of cell from adult male or adult woman or a child or anything and reverse engineer it into a stem cell and then program that stem cell to become a heart cell, a liver cell, a lung cell, a brain cell. And during our, our, our tours and our, our meetings with the Gladstone, we actually went and looked through a microscope and saw a sheet of beating heart cells that had been taken from an adult male skin cell. So the implications blew us away and we said, wow, why create science fiction when it's really happening? So um, that was our first large, uh, uh, well, relatively large um, donation. That's fantastic because, no, I mean, you, you see so many areas in culture and in science, and especially surprisingly in science, of people doing this kind of research for you know, medical benefits and saving lives, but also because they were inspired by the, the ideas and sort of the, the sci-fi in your father's work. Um, and so that's just so neat to see that kind of fiction inspiring real life and then the heirs of that fiction then funding like that whole cycle is kind of cool and I, I mean certainly surprising to me that you know you would see that 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 is a driver in today's society you know yeah well like like anyone out there I'm a fan of that future I mean I'm just I'm just another fan who happened to be the son of the guy who created it um, that that is a distinction but I mean in some ways there's very little difference between you and I in terms of why I like Star Trek. Now, there's plenty of people out there who see Star Trek and they say, what's the big deal? It's just entertainment. And that's great. You know, Star Trek doesn't have to give you a roadmap to the future. I, I just think that it's, it's a really neat idea that happens to bring a lot of diverse people together. In my, my, in my travels of discovering Star Trek and my father while, while shooting Trek Nation, I, I, I found out that there are people from 
all walks of life, all uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, all political beliefs, all religious beliefs that all sort of can agree on this commonality of the future of us working together. So despite our differences right now, it's, it's really interesting that these people who are, you know, sometimes extremely different in their views of life today, all look to that future and say, hey, wouldn't that be great? So I'm just really proud of it. No, and it's, it's like I said, it's a lot to be proud of. And I know, again, I don't want to go through all the, all the Trek Nation stuff. And those of you who I have not seen it, it's so great because of your, it shows your journey to kind of where you started with less. You know, you, you originally weren't as impressed by it because you just didn't really know. And then you kind of went through your own personal discovery to get to that place you are now, which is really cool. Yeah, forgive me. I, I jumped ahead and really didn't go into my whole Trek Nation thing because, A, you guys have seen it. And B, I've said it so many times, you could probably pick it up somewhere else and, well, do it. I don't know. You could probably just well, get the on, DVD. Yeah, and it's on, get the DVD because, I mean, seriously, I, it, it was just so cool to see. And, you know, you have interviews with a lot of different creators, both from within Star Trek and without. I mean, you got to interview George Lucas, all this stuff. So if you guys, and this is for our listeners, you know, if you're interested in this, this, uh, his journey, I mean, it's really a great little documentary. But let's move on from that because I'm interested sure. in a couple questions that I don't know that were addressed in that as much. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that I was kind of thinking about with you and your father is, do you think there's anything today that really would have surprised him about where we are in technology and, and, and kind of just like he never would have seen this this major part of our culture or our technology coming you know that's an awesome question you know part of me i've gone back and i've listened to a lot of my father's speeches when there's recordings of them um from you know uh, universities and, and that sorts of things and my father you know in the in these i guess late 70s and early 80s was was kind of talking about the internet you know because it's not that he could see the future i mean that people can say that but what he did was is that he had friends at Caltech and JPL, and he did a lot of reading, and he would extrapolate based on technologies, and he would really think um, in steps as to what would be the next thing after you know the current device of the day. And in you know one of his speeches, I think it was in Auburn, he started talking about I, I think like this box on your TV that would be linked to other boxes on TVs or, or displays that would convey information back and forth and you would have all this information at your fingertips and anyhow, you know, he was talking about the internet um, I, part of me wants to say he wouldn't be surprised by the internet but he, he might be surprised by how uh, pervasive, how, how people have taken it from just this um, um, box on your desk that gives you information to, these, to the ability to really create, you know, people can create special effects and, and quality TV shows and programs that are better than what he was doing in the 60s. Yeah. And you can do that on, on, on a laptop. Right. Um, so I think he'd be very impressed with that. And I think he'd be thrilled by it, too, because, you know, competition is fantastic. And, and it shouldn't just be competition between large corporations. But I love it when um, a fan group or a group of people gets together and they're so passionate and so driven that they create... A, a Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever movie that, you know, I don't want to say rivals what's on television, but you know what? Probably makes a lot of the executives at the studios turn their heads and say, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this guy did this in his, on his laptop. You know, so I, lo I love that. 
Yeah, no, and, and I, think, I know my father would too. Well, that's cool because you know there is that whole kind of back and forth you see between intense and creative fans and the people who control the properties, and it's a it's a weird relationship I think between some of them, like you said, because they get nervous and they're like, "Oh wait, this guy, these guys are doing some really good stuff," and yet at the same time you see people embracing that and then hiring them on to do stuff, and it's it's really neat to see what you can do. Um, yeah, that, that's a great question. Can I just one more second sure. on that? I, uh, you made me think, which happens every now and then, you know, when I get a really good question that I've never thought of before. I, I would say that my father may not have anticipated or researched or known about, um, you know, what everyone's calling crowdsourcing or crowd, you know, crowd development. Um, the fact that these communities are getting together and creating either products or, or bringing data together. I mean, everything from Wikipedia to Kickstarter um, all these crowdsourcing uh, endeavors out there are really kind of exciting because they sort of embody the vision of the future that my father created. He talked about a future where we all work together. We put aside our, our petty differences and squabbles and really work towards the betterment of a single idea. Well, that's what you know, um, uh, Kickstarter and Wikipedia and all those things are doing. They're people coming together to work for a central idea. I, I know I'm being kind of grandiose about it, but it's kind of heading down that road, and I'm, I, I think he'd be very impressed and proud of that. No, I, actually, as you're talking about it, I'm like, you know, Kickstarter, all this crowdsourcing, it's like a more benevolent version of the Borg. You know, there's, there's almost yeah. a sense of, a, of like a hive-minded community, but really that's like the Federation. They, they work together. You, there is like really no overt sense of corporations and profit and it was almost a very like almost i don't know if it was ever described this way but very like, uh not not communist but uh sort of a socialist, socialist you know, yep. and yep. uh you know again in an ideal world like that's the way to go and yep. so I, that's really interesting and i I'm, that's really cool that you uh, you thought about that uh, well socialism I, works when everyone has everything they need exactly at any time they need it <laughs> yeah and then we've seen how it doesn't work when people decide right. to get all dictator about it. I want to go back to the personal thing because one of the things that, um, especially rewatching Trek Nation and and watching Star Trek over the years, you know, your mother Magell was such a force in that universe in different ways. Of course, you know, everybody knows her from the hearing her voice, uh, you know, Next Gen, and seeing her, of course, you know, uh, Loxana Troy and all that, but. Um, you know, I'd love to know a little bit more about your mom because, you know, a lot of times I think she kind of gets in the shadow of, of your dad. And yet she was from everything, you know, you've said and everything I've read. She sounds like a just a crazy, amazing mom and, and force of nature of, of a woman. So, I You're- mean, can you tell us anything about, you know, and, 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 you know, I was very sad, of course, to hear when she passed away a few years ago because, again, she just – even after your father passed, she seemed like she was like the life of the of the the of you know of your father pushing the legacy and all that. Can you tell us anything like you know a little story or anything about your memories of your mom and how like how that affected you? Yeah, you know that's that's uh, really nice of you to bring her up. You know, I mean, it was really hard in uh, Trek Nation. I know you didn't ask this, but uh, you know, I thought one of the the biggest criticisms I'd get was leaving my mom out so much and uh, you know, kind of brushing past her as quickly as I did in the first you know, a few minutes. Um, and again, that was only because, you know, we did many versions of Trek Nation and we incorporated her a lot more, but she was a can of worms. And I mean that in a good way. I mean that there was so much to her and so much to her relationship with my father and so much to, I mean, my relationship with her that it was just so, every road we went down, it just, it was open-ended and it, 
ended up not it didn't conclude her and I hate to call it as a character but I was a character too it didn't conclude her character in Trek Nation so I'm happy you say that because she does often get left out and um, you know the only thing I can say is is uh, she loved my father uh, so much and dare I say to a fault which may not be a bad thing you know she she wanted to protect him she wanted to keep the dream going um, she wanted to protect him so much she wouldn't tell me you know some of the truths and and some of the things that I that I had questions about and um, she it was just such an incredible devotion to my father and to the people who made Star Trek what it is and and this is not just you know my line or some rhetoric that my mother and father both understood that Star Trek was canceled. It was dead. It was gone. But thanks to, you know, the devotion of a relatively small group of people at that time, um, they kept it on the air. And then again, after the third season when it was canceled, it was the devotion of those people while it was in syndication in the 70s who kept it on the air. So she had a tremendous loyalty to not just my father, but all the fans out there who watched Star Trek. Um, She's just an amazing woman. She was also, I guess, if you're asking me sort of personally about her, she was great. She was, she was a sailor. Um, <laughs> I, my parents were members of this, this golf club. They loved golf. And uh, in the 80s, the golf club still had, a, um, on Thursdays or something like that, it was the men's grill. So it turned the one restaurant to only men. She was the only woman that could go in there. And when anyone asked her, she would say, fuck you. Um, <laughs> And she would sit down with the guys and they would tell dirty jokes and, you know, she'd drink scotch or whatever she had. And she was just sort of one of the guys. Um, and, and she was just that type. Um, and I mean that in a very loving way. She had no problem telling you, you know, how she felt. And at the same time, she would smile and tell her also tell someone how much she cared about them. So that's awesome. an amazing woman. No, and and that does come across. I think some of that, you know, maybe not the sailor part, but just the way she portrayed the different characters in the show, and even back to when she was on the the original show. I mean, just I think she always stood out and had such a strong presence. Um, yeah. So I, you know, again, she's just one of my favorite. Uh, you know, when any any next gen episode, if if it comes on, I'm sitting there watching, and she's in it. I got to watch it. So, um, <laughs> I want to move on to uh, some of the gay character or not gay character well i want to talk about the gay issue because and, and you do you do touch on this and we talked about this a little personally uh when we met you know one of the biggest unfortunate co- shortcomings of the star trek legacy in spite of it being such a groundbreaking show for you know gender equality and and racial diversity in the future you know and again the, the original series is kind of it gets a pass on the gay issue because really you know no no shows in the late 60s early 70s were really dealing with that in any major way but that, you know, even like Next Gen came around and like there was no real there was sex sexuality and all this other stuff. There were some non-traditional relationships, but the gay things like just never realized. And I, and I know I think I read you said your father later in his life kind of came around on the issue and 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 believed in it. But by that point, you know, he he didn't really direct the, 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 the show, the franchise or anything. But, you know, I. I'd like to talk a little bit about that, and especially if there are any characters in your memory of the show that stood out to you as someone who they might have been gay or they just didn't you know, address it or you know, anything like that. Just, just because, again, it's, it's one of those just missing areas, kind of like pretty much any sexuality in Star Wars. Right. <laughs> the gay right. issue in Star Trek is like the whole you know, of all the works. But um, 
Were there any characters that you thought of or anything with your father and, and his coming to accept gay, uh, you know, gays and lesbians? Well, let me just uh, uh, clarify. Um, you know, I, I don't – my father didn't uh, eventually come around. I, I think he was always there. Oh, okay. um, You know, my, my father was very progressive and forward-thinking. Um, the, the idea of ITIC, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, really included, I mean, everything, you know? I mean, any uh, religious, sexual, whatever preference you might have, it was really the idea that if we all – looked the same way, and if we all thought the same way, life wouldn't be worth living because it would just be boring as hell. You know, what would we talk about, you know, if everything was the same? So he was definitely always open to that. Um, I don't know for a fact, but the stories that I hear, you know, as much control as he had of Next Generation, there were still plenty of executives above him and censors who I'm sure said, if he brought that up, I can't say for sure that he did, but, uh, you know, I'm sure said, you know, no way in hell are we going to send that out to our audience. There were still things that were taboo in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Um, so they, they skirted the issue. And I know people, are, people generally don't consider us addressing, and I hate calling it an issue, and I'll tell you why in a second. But they never really addressed the gay issue. They had one episode where Riker fell in love with, I think, uh, I forgot the, the alien's name, but a trill. Yeah. And it was a male trill in a female body. And so that was their whole like, oh, see, we're dealing with the gay issue. Um, I, I know everyone in the gay community pretty much thinks that's just crap. <laughs> um, so the, the I, I think I already told this to you. The best answer... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That I heard my father say about it was, you know, you might call it a cop-out, but ideally, I think it's the perfect vision of that future. My, said that in the, my father said that in the 23rd, 24th century, being gay is not an issue. Right. It's having a different religion is not an issue. Being African-American is not an issue. Therefore, seeing it on Star Trek or seeing it on the bridge of a ship, you don't see it because there's no one wearing a rainbow flag. No one needs to wear a rainbow flag anymore because it's a non-issue. Right. You know, people just go about their lives and they go home to their husbands and wives or whatever it is they have. And they love them and they live their life. So that's why you never saw it on the bridge, because it's a non-issue. Now, you know, tip, Star Trek typically tries to address social issues. So, yes, to your point, it never addressed it. But, um, 
you know, I thought that was sort of the best answer you he could give under the circumstances. Yeah, and 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 it's it's a fair point, and and actually, it's you know sort of encouraging because it's one of those things where it shouldn't be an issue, like you said, and uh, it's uh, you know I don't have a big thing against, it, especially when I went back and I did some reading about it, and there you know there is like expanded universe or whatever they call like the you know kind of non-canon stuff people have done, and I guess there was a character Lieutenant Hawk or something, and then you know it, he was portrayed in such a way in like one of the movies where he it was it was sort of like a sub sub subtext, you know. And yeah. then I guess a later work expanded upon it. Actually, like not even like I think it was a licensed uh, like a novel or something, and actually like fully fleshed it out um, as as a gay character. So you know, and, you know, it's funny too is like the legacy like Ron Moore, uh, who did Battlestar Galactica and was one of the main you know writers on Next Gen. He even in his own show didn't really get to do a gay character. Yeah, and that was like four years ago. You know, so yeah, it, it's a lot of that's just coming down from sort of a of a editorial or you know network sort of perspective where they're like, yeah, we don't really want to do that. <laughs> well, we're still having issues with you know gay marriage. I mean, we're we're still as 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 much as we've progressed intellectually as a species. You know, we're still way behind where we should be. So, um, you know, I, I too wish that they they had had brought it up or at least addressed it in Next Gen, Deep Space, Voyager, or Enterprise. And I think one of those other series did touch on it a bit more. I, I, I don't know which episode, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Um, in terms of your first question, which character could possibly, in my eyes, po- possibly would have been gay? I, I, I think um, I'm going to say, and they'll probably get mad at me, but, I mean... Although this isn't a very good answer. I mean, Data was kind of the gayest character on there. <laughs> he, he, he said he was fully functional, but he didn't say that he went one way or the other. So. Yep. That's, I, I really like that answer, actually. <laughs> he did always seem a little fussy. Yeah. Well, yeah. he was almost a, a, a little bit shy of like a C-3PO in terms of the effeminate quality. But no, he... In fact, there's a guy I work with, and he, we basically think of him as Data, and he's he was asexual. Now he's come out, so it's one of those things where you're like, okay, yeah, um, he was he was Gata. <laughs> but nice. boom, nice, I love it. That's awesome. Um, and actually, one of the reasons why I love just going back to your answer, what you had heard uh, your father had said as far as that whole thing. We did have that conversation when we met you at the hotel after uh, MegaCon. And it actually kind of stemmed from the whole conversation that we had had, because with my company with Bears in the City and doing karaoke, you had you had brought up the point of like that would have been awesome to do, you know, on the main floor of MegaCon, and the, the fact that you know like it was such a diverse crowd, and then you stopped yourself and said, the fact that I even you know in this day and age have to stop and say it's such a diverse crowd that would be accepting of it, it just sucks that that's you know that's yeah. the way that even in you know 2013 that's how we're thinking about it, that it is yeah. an issue so. It's nice to hear hear that your father, even you know, at that point in time, had that kind of mindset about it, and that through him, you know, you have that same you have the same outlook because of the way that your parents were, and you know how they how they perceived it, and the fact that it is a non-issue. Yeah, yeah. I, well, thank you. I I think in certain areas I'm I'm fairly open-minded, and in others I'm probably closed-minded. I, you get me going on religion, and well, well, you. <laughs> may not like what I have to say. <laughs> Are you in the Dawkins camp? Are you in the uh, fierce atheist? I, I, I'm more in the Dawkins camp, absolutely. Okay. It's so funny because I got in this conversation with my mom last night. She's telling me about Dawkins. I'm like, yeah, I know who Dawkins is. That's cool. 
yeah, he's he's just very vocal about it, and and um, I, I uh, you know, it's funny. I, I have a good friend, and we talk about religion and, and humanism and atheism together. And, and uh, you know, my father really kind of said he was a humanist, um, and and I've gone to humanist too because um, it's the safe word before atheist, right? Um, and and I still that doesn't mean I'm 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 just atheist, but. The safe thing to say is, you know, I believe in humanity before God. So, yeah, I, that's a fair point. And it puts, I think, all of the, you know, maybe not the fierce atheists, whatever, but yeah, the humanist, it's putting the focus on the here and now. Yeah. And it's leaving the rest for the things we can't ever know in this lifetime for yeah. another lifetime. And, and, and honestly, whatever comes after doesn't matter. It's what's important is right here and now. Agreed. And, and I've Agreed. always, and I actually am from a religious background. And, and still have a faith, I don't wear it on my sleeve. And it's, you know, again, it's, 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 the expression of that faith should be about the here and now and how you treat people. And, like, I like the best qualities of religions without trying to bring any of the nonsense of t- intolerance and all that other nonsense, you know, with me. Absolutely. And, I, and I mean, there's plenty of... Yeah, it's, it's that kind of positive thing that I've seen a lot of humanists do uh, who are friends of mine or who I've read, and that's cool. Yeah. And your father definitely ex- exemplified that with showing this positive future, um, you know, and giving us these ideals that we can aspire to without having to have a religious faith. Um, so I, I also want to touch a little bit on your legacy, because what's really cool to me and sort of somewhat inspiring is you going back and listening to all your, your, your father's you know, uh, lectures and talks and, and really digging into his history. Um, in doing docu- the documentary and doing other projects, do you think about the legacy that you'll leave your, uh, your, your family, your descendants, and like how would you want that legacy to be viewed and or documented? Damn, you have some good questions. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I, I mean, I do think about that every now and then. Um, It, it's it's a uh, we all have our, our our personal journeys and we all sort of like compare ourselves to people and I've I've you know gone through um, highs and lows of whether I compare myself to my father or not and whether I should and of course no I shouldn't and all those sorts of things but uh, you know do I want to be remembered for something or do I one day just want to have children love my children and hope they respect and love me and and live that way I mean you know. I'll tell you what I want is that I don't want people to forget the Roddenberry name and I don't want people to forget where Star Trek came from. And by I'm what I mean by where it came from is Star Trek on television, particularly the original series and next generation, you know, they, they were fairly thought provoking and would often, not all the time, often make you at least consider a different point of view and I think that's the strength of Star Trek. I think that's what's kept it on the air for so long because there were a group of people out there that were interested in those ideas and were also thinking of different points of view. Um, you know, the, the later Star Treks, not so much. So I, I really am worried about, let's just say, when these next movies come out and let's just say CBS decides to do a series, TV series. Um, as we've read on the blogs and everything recently, we all feel that Star Trek, well... I'm sorry, a lot of us feel that Star Trek belongs on television, or yeah. at least is at its best on television. I'm, I'm worried about what they're going to do with that series. You know, is it going to become just a sci-fi opera, 
or is it going to go back to stories that make you think about something or consider different points of view? And, um, you know, as the years go on, I'm wondering if the original Star Trek will become more and more diluted by, by that mentality. Yeah, and it's a, it's a major concern because you see the commercialization. You see the push towards making things more violent and action-oriented to make them relevant. And the original shows, as much as they had that you know, Western in space you know, sort of selling point to the networks, like, they weren't. They really weren't that. They were something deeper and more science fiction in a pure, you know, reflective, think-about-this-form which is the best thing about science fiction, you know? So I really hope you're right. I, I mean, I hope you're wrong. I rather, I, I, I hope that whoever, you know, actually executes those decisions, they actually think back to the original and they don't just try to ape, you know, that in like the movies now and just, you know, new flashy versions of it, you know? But, um, so yeah, I'm like, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was going to ask you about what your thoughts on the future of Star Trek were. Um, one other question. Uh, this is kind of obscure, so I apologize in advance. But I, a friend of mine asked, I said, I'm interviewing Gene's son. What would you want to ask? And there was a show. and I didn't actually even know this existed. But there was a show called Genesis 2. Yes. And I read about it. And what I found fascinating, because I had seen, you know, um, I think, were you involved with the Earth Final Conflict at all? I thought I, I remember. Okay. I, I actually watched that show a lot when it was on. I think it was like late 90s, around the turn of the you know, century millennium thing, and I actually enjoyed that a lot. Um, and then, uh, you know, some of, I think, I think your father had some comic properties, too, at one point, because I remember seeing your, you know, his name attached to this, but I honestly didn't even go back and <laughs> try to find them in my boxes. But the Genesis 2 show stood out to me because it was so different than Star Trek. It was like the, almost the mirror image of a um, starting point, anyway. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure most of the people listening have never heard of it, it's like a dystopian future. Yeah. But but there's this core idea that shines through of science trying to hold a light in the darkness of civilization, you know, and trying to restart things from a, a more nonviolent, a more progressive, certainly, point of view. And I, that, I, I think that came out before Star Trek. Um, but it's so different to me and, and I just didn't know how much you, uh, you had looked into that and, you know, seeing your father do something that was very dystopian, like yeah. how that married well, with his kind of very idealistic and utopian view of the future in Star Trek. Well, I, you know, that, that actually came out, uh, in the seventies after Star Trek, okay. at least the original series. Um, and it was my father's attempt to create a new television series. So he, he created a two hour pilot and he did that with a few other projects. Um, um, the Quester tapes being one of the more popular ones. And anyone who's interested in this, go to YouTube. You can find them in like three, three to five different uh, parts on YouTube. Okay. And they're, you know, if you're, you're a Roddenberry fan or a sci-fi fan, you hopefully will find them uh, entertaining. Um, he still, it was still about, you know, humanity. It was still about questioning sort of who we are as people and what sort of lives should we be living you know, so it, I, I think on that one, I saw it a long time ago, but this guy wakes up in the future and everything's changed. And I don't, there's, there's a lot of bad things going on and he tries to make them right. I'm sorry. That was the worst. That was the worst story description ever. I, I don't remember it, but um, <laughs> no, and I just read it on YouTube or on, uh, on Wikipedia. So, I mean, no, it, I'm glad to hear, I have to go look at YouTube now because I actually really want to see this. Um, but again, I just think it was so cool that there was like that sliver of, of Star Trek idealism in this, you know, very different world, you know, where we've lost. And that's kind of a neat difference. 
uh, in that show. But um, what do you have coming up? I know you t- you're doing the work for the charity. I didn't know this. You're a, a very accomplished diver. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, that, like, what, what are your upcoming projects? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, well, we've got a lot going on. I'll try not to bore you with just, um, I guess, just putting everything out there. But, you know, we, we've got a lot going on at Roddenberry. You know, we call it Roddenberry Entertainment. We have a lot of small entertainment projects that we're very proud of. Um, one is Days Missing, which is a comic book series that's uh, been around for a few years now. We're just uh, launching the third series of that uh, comic book. Um, and, it, and it really has a great Roddenberry character. You know, it's got a, a a character in there with sort of superpowers, but who doesn't really have his humanity and is sort of searching for his own humanity in a way. I don't want to give too much away, but he's, I'll, I'll tell you, he's able to fold back 24 hours on itself. That's his one power. And he's, he's sort of this steward of time. And um, he's been in our lives, in our world, I guess since the beginning of time. And what's really cool is each comic brings in, I don't want to say a real life because it's not always real life, but a real life incident, whether it's World War II or, uh, or, or uh, the, the uh, sorry, what do they call it in 2000? <laughs> when we changed, we, we thought everything was going to explode. Oh, Y2K? Y2K, I'm sorry. Whether it's Y2K or World War II, the time steward was there, and what he was able to do was all those bad things that we thought were going to happen actually did happen. But he turned back 24 hours on itself and, you know, encouraged and influenced the key people to make different decisions, decisions to hopefully, you know, um, have a better, better outcome. That's awesome. So uh, he, he doesn't always – He's not always able to make the perfect decision or make us do the right thing. Sometimes it's a lesser of two evils. The best part of it is a very fallible character trying to find his own identity and where he came from and, and trying to find his own humanity. So like, like all of the Star Treks that we've seen, there's always the alien ca- character that shows us our humanity. It's always the, the window into who we are. And that's what this character does very well, and, and we're very proud of that. And, of course, we're looking for things beyond just uh, comic books. Um, we did the, the documentary. There's another comic book line coming out. There's a short sci-fi film called White Room, O2B3. And uh, that is being done with a brand new 360-degree uh, camera. Oh, wow. Not 3D, but 360 degrees. It's shot with a camera that's looking all around the room. And, um, so you can like, look around within the story. Exactly. That's and awesome. you know, the, the initial intention was just to show it in domed theaters. But since then, we've helped develop an app where you can control, you can hold an iPad and spin around and control essentially the camera. Mm-hmm. And um, you get indicators as to who's talking, so you can move the, the, the iPad to that person. But you just get to watch around the entire room as everything unfolds. That's awesome. Um, so that's kind of neat. Um, outside of entertainment, uh, we have two other divisions that are really sort of exciting. Um, one currently is called the Roddenberry Dive Team. I'm an avid, avid scuba diver. I've loved the ocean. Um, for years, I wanted to put it together because the idea of exploring the, the world underwater and the idea of exploring strange new galaxies really go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, you do see alien life. Uh, so I, I, I started that back in 2009. And uh, what we're going to do soon, probably 2014, is open it up to something called Roddenberry Adventures. And that is going to include 
not just what's below, but everything above too. And you don't have to be a thrill seeker to do this. You can, you know, we'll, we'll have walks in the park and IMAX movies and African safaris. Um, I don't know if we're going to do an African safari, but I was just trying to give the, <laughs> the range. Well, now you have to. <laughs> um, and, and the idea there is to really sort of, you know, I hate to steal this from Discovery Channel, but explore your world. Mm-hmm. You know, not every good idea is found in, on television. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> what, life is stranger than fiction sometimes. Um, so that's what we hope to do there. And then you already mentioned it. The Roddenberry Foundation is really where my heart is at because what we're trying to do is bring that, that vision, as I said earlier, closer to reality by finding organizations and institutions that are really working on the cutting edge of technology and the cutting edge of thinking. Wow. That's a lot. Sorry. No, no, that no. That's great, though. I mean, it's what's what I love about it is it's not just you, there's no eggs in one basket. You got a lot of different venues to explore that legacy and to inspire people. And that's cool because it's it's true to the vision of Star Trek to inspire people to go out on these adventures to to donate to these great causes to, to try something different. Word. What's that? No, you, sorry to interrupt. You just said the magic word. I, I think Star Trek's strongest attribute is inspiration. And that's what we're trying to do, hopefully, just with just about everything we're doing is, as you just said, and thank you for saying it, <laughs> inspire people. No, and it's, it's, it's such a, you know, you, you, you never know how things are going to go, especially when you lose control and then the next generation comes around. And, I mean, all of this to me sounds like, you know, it would make your father really proud of just the diverse kind of approach and that it's all about inspiring. So that's, that's great. Awesome. And I, I also forgot to mention um, something that I'm uh, deeply involved with and passionate about right now, which is a podcast. I was, um, just, just, I, I was just about that, to bring that up. I figured uh, since we're on a podcast right now, that'd probably be the best thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about a year ago, we started a podcast um, called The Mission Log. And uh, the idea was, um, you know, in again, in my exploration of my father and Star Trek and what it meant and meeting all the people – um, they all told me that Star Trek inspired them. It had messages, it had morals, it had meetings. And um, I wanted to go back and do sort of this critical analysis of each episode and see, you know, what was it? What is it you're all talking about? Yeah, I've seen them, but, you know, let's, let's, let's pull it apart. Um, I knew I wasn't the guy to necessarily do that. So I had uh, uh, two guys in mind, and I, and I broached the, the topic with the two of them, and they both were instantly attracted to the idea. They're both... Uh, very smart, intellectual, but also very funny uh, and humorous guys. They, um, uh, John Champion uh, of DVD Geeks mm-hmm. and uh, Ken Ray of Mac OS Ken uh, are two people that I've listened to a long time and their their uh, respective podcasts. And uh, they've come on board and they've they've really done an amazing job. And we're going to do every episode of every series, including every movie and the animated series, <laughs> which once a week. In air order, and that will take us 14 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess, you're up to like issue like, or episode 30-something, I think. So uh, We're halfway through season two. We're just about halfway through season two. Man, you're getting to the good stuff. I think when season three hit, you know, and the storyline started getting a little out there, that's going to be when <laughs> it yeah, might turn more into like mystery science theater. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing, you know, I, I, I don't want to say they're they're just uh, it's not all critical thinking and analysis. They're they're very funny. 
Um, there are episodes where it does seem to become a little bit like Mystery Science Theater uh, 3000 because there, some of them are, get kind of absurd. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the things that they use in them yeah. are somewhat comical. So these guys will pick those out. But then they'll really look at, is there a message in this episode? Or does it make you think differently? Or, you know, what, what did you pull away from it in the 60s? And does that still stand the test of time today? And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope listeners will, will give it a shot after listening to your show, of course. And um, yeah. Well, you guys are on the Nerdist, so I think you're going to get a lot of people listening through that. Um, yeah. So uh, th- thank you so much for this interview. I, I really I really enjoyed talking to you, Megacon. I was sad we didn't come back on Sunday and come like to the convention itself and hang out because that sounds like it would have been a lot of fun. Um, but you know, any, anytime you're back down in Megaconville or just down in Orlando, you give us a call and I mean, uh, it'd be a lot of fun to do this again in the future. No, oh, I'd love to do this guys. Um, so thank you so, so much. And, uh, what's the, what's the website? Well, of course you got Roddenberry.com and then, uh, mission log podcast.com. And man, I could start going through all of them. RoddenberryDiveTeam.com, RoddenberryFoundation.org, blah, 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 blah. But if you go to hey, Roddenberry.com, they're, you know, and they're all And I just there. started Twittering. I'm, I'm like this old man who's figuring out the internet. I just got into Twittering. Oh, nice. So if well, we'll you, get you uh, some new followers I, pretty quickly then. <laughs> yeah, and I try my damnedest to say things that are interesting, but sometimes they're not. Um, at Rod Roddenberry. Okay, Give cool. it a shot. Awesome. We'll we'll uh, we'll make sure that we grab all the links and we'll put them into the show notes and everything because there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of our listeners would definitely be interested in keeping up with or even just checking out. So uh, we'll we'll get all that and we'll put that up for anybody who wants to uh, click on it and see what it's all about. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks a lot. again, Rod. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Absolutely. And flame off. Flame on. <laughs> nice. Thanks for listening to Flame On, a podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, The Ones in the Blue Box, A Comic Shop, Nerdapalooza, and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out flameonshow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.